Awesome. Uh, well, man, it's good to be together this morning. Uh, as Tony said, my name is Jordan. If we've never met before, uh, I'd love to hear how you got connected to grace. And even if you're still investigating Jesus, I'd love to hear how your faith journey has been, has been going. Uh, if you are online, just want to say uh, welcome. It's good to have you. Thankful that you're able to join us today. Uh, and as a way of introducing myself, I just want to show you a couple photos uh, of my family here. Uh, as my siblings and uh, my mom and my dad. Kind of awesome. Uh, and then I want to show you a picture of my spiritual family, uh, the people that God has brought into my life and the folks that I'm able to do, do life with. It's pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, if you didn't make it up on here, please don't be offended. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't fit you on there, okay? <laughs> but um, they're pretty, pretty awesome people. So many of you know that we have been uh, going through this series that we have been calling Jesus Overall, we've been looking at different topics that we've been talking about, and so we're going to continue in that today as we'll be talking about Jesus over my relationships, Jesus over my relationships, specifically Jesus over my singleness, right? Just got a little quiet in here today, you know? <laughs> uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, but uh, this conversation is not going to be framed in five ways to be content while you're single. Uh, that's actually not the goal today. Uh, but I do just want to preface up front that there are two different uh, kind of uh, trails that we could go on when it comes to this conversation. Uh, and so I just want to give us some definitions as to what we're talking about today. So we're all speaking the same language uh, and we kind of know where we're going. So these are the definitions I want to give you all uh, is the state of singleness and the gift of singleness. And the state of singleness would say this, that it is a temporary time in a person's life in which they are single. Uh, and that the gift of singleness uh, is a God-enabled capacity to a life of celibacy for service. Okay? Uh, and so today, we're going to be primarily spending our time uh, on the state of singleness, uh, a temporary time in a person's life in which they are single. Uh, and so the goal today, as I understand it, uh, is to draw our attention, whether uh, you are married or single, to Jesus being overall. Right? That's, that's kind of the goal today. Uh, and the roadmap that I want to take uh, to help us kind of get to that destination is I want to look at three myths that are centered around singleness that, if I'm honest, I have struggled with uh, and believe have seeped into the church from culture. Uh, and even from within the church herself. Uh, and so at the end, then, I want to take us to what is uh, kind of the ultimate myth buster. Is that okay? Is that cool? All right. Um, <clears throat> but before we dive in, um, <laughs> I just want to answer, you know, the question that might be lingering in the room, and it's not to whether I'm single or not. That's not the question, right? <laughs> I don't know if I should have said that, but... Um, <laughs> but uh, the question is, so what? Right. So what? Why are we devoting a weekend of our time to this topic? Uh, because for some of you who are married, you might be wondering, you know, uh, I'm not single. I'm taking young fella, right? Uh, <clears throat> so what does this have to do with me? You know, I'm married, Jordan, right? What does this have to do with me? And this is, this is what I would say. This is, this is what I would say. 
uh, is that God's word to singles about singleness is something that whether you are married or you're single, uh, I believe you need to know about. I believe you need to know about. And I have two reasons uh, for that. And the first is that marriage is temporary. That marriage is temporary. Uh, You know, Jesus will tell us that marriage is an earthly, temporary relationship that won't continue in heaven. We'll talk more about that next, next week. But the second reason is that singleness has a direct effect on all of us. Right? has a direct effect on all of us. Because the Bible will re- uh, repeatedly speak about the local church as a body. Uh, that Romans 12 is kind of the staple for the way that the local church is explained using the human body. Right? So this is what Paul says in Romans 12. I just want to show you. And we'll start in verse 5. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function. Uh, So we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We're a body. Uh, For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus as Lord, we belong to each other on the basis that we belong to Jesus. Uh, And so get this. Uh, What would happen to part of us would go on to affect all of us. If, if someone is hurting uh, or they are struggling, it hurts us all. And so, therefore, I, I need to be aware of what the Christian life is like for you, and you need to be aware of what the Christian life is like for me. Why? Because we're a family. We're a family. <laughs> and I think this reality uh, really applies to, to far more than marriage and to singleness. Uh, I think what it shows is that as a single young man, I actually have a stake in the marriages within this church. I should be praying for my married friends and their flourishing. Right? And that the married folks in this church have a stake in our singleness, right? Uh, to help us flourish in our singleness in a, in a healthy way, right? We are, we're a family. And so with that, <clears throat> let me give you the three myths of singleness that we'll be looking at today. Uh, And the first one is uh, singleness means I'm incomplete. Uh, Singleness means I'm alone. And singleness means that my main concern should be to find a spouse. And so let's start with this first one here, that my uh, singleness means I'm incomplete. Uh, In 2005, which I just did the math last service, I was seven years old. You believe that? That's kind of (laughs) crazy. Sorry. (laughs) First and last time. Uh, In in 2005, there was an interesting film that came out uh, that portrayed singleness as basically being uh, the worst thing ever. And uh, you might have seen it before. It's the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin, right? Um, I've not seen this movie before, and I will not watch it, but... The premise of this film uh, is that if you're single, <clears throat> that uh, you are somehow wasting your sexuality. That if you, if you don't try to have regular sexual experiences, uh, you are incomplete. Uh, the idea that um, you are kind of missing something, right? You're missing something. Uh, and, you know, it's no fault of their own, but married folks will often tell single people, uh, don't worry, you know, you'll find someone. 
Um, as if the biggest problem is that they're single. Uh, and honestly, I think sometimes what that can do uh, is it can further drive this stigma that if I'm single, I'm missing something in life. Uh, I'm not actually a complete human. Right? I'm missing something. Uh, that an exclusive relationship will make me complete. Uh, and here's the biggest issue with that logic. The biggest issue with that way of thinking is that Jesus was single, right? It's like a mic drop, we all can go home, right? <laughs> Hang out. <laughs> Jesus was single. <clears throat> but really, I think we need to consider what our culture is saying about our Lord and maybe what we're saying about Jesus, right? Uh, because Jesus didn't have sex. Jesus was never in a romantic relationship. Jesus was never married. And so when you or I say or believe that to be single is to be incomplete, I'm missing something, we're saying something about our Lord, right? that Jesus was subhuman. <clears throat> For those of us who follow Jesus, we take great confidence in knowing that Christ was the most complete human that there ever was, right? So what Paul says in the book of Colossians, it's actually the verse that has kind of uh, built this um, series that we've been going through. This is what Paul says. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Right? That Jesus is the representation of who God is. If you want to know what God is like, Look at Jesus, right? Uh, that Jesus is superior over all. Right? He's the most complete human there ever was. And so on the basis of being followers of Jesus and disciples of Jesus, right, this myth is utterly false. Right? It's wrong. How about, how about this myth? myth? Myth number two. Singleness means I'm alone. I think out of all the myths that I still wrestle with the most, not only in preparation for this sermon, uh, but also in just wanting to be a good disciple of Jesus. This one seems to cut pretty deep for a lot of singles. In the summertime, our staff uh, takes a day to do what we call the staff family day. Just block out a chunk of time where we spend uh, the day together just sharing a meal uh, in fellowship uh, playing games, uh, and it turns out Pastor Seth can ball, and Colin can eat a tub of ice cream. It's actually kind of, kind of amazing. Um, <clears throat> but here's, here's, here's the point: is that there, there was a moment uh, last year when I felt this myth just kind of wash over me, uh, and it's particularly when I saw people begin to take pictures with their spouse and with their kids, and I just felt alone. Uh, and it's such a, <laughs> it's a cliche thing to say, you know, I'm surrounded by all these people that I love and who I know I'm loved by, and yet I felt alone. And I don't think I'm the only person that has felt this way before, uh, and I'm certain that I will not be the last person to feel this way. But he, here is what I have come 
to believe, and here is what I have come to experience. Is that Jesus promises a family. Is that Jesus promises a family. Now, I'm either going to dig into that, right, and look to see what Jesus meant by that, or, or I'm going to fill that void and that longing with whatever is going to quiet that feeling of being alone. Because I think one of the reasons, y'all, why this myth can cut so deep is because our culture has offered a narrative about singleness that as hard as it is to say, most of us who are single or married have bought into or we have been affected by. And so I just want to look at that cultural narrative and then want to look at what Jesus says in opposition to our culture's beliefs. Is that okay? All right. This is what I think our culture would say about singleness is that if you're not in an exclusive romantic relationship, you're alone. You're going to experience loneliness, so you better find someone to help you out with that. And I think here's the reality, though, is that if I'm a lonely, insecure, single person, there might be a tendency for me to look to marriage to want to fill that deep longing. But the reality is, I will become a lonely, insecure, married person. Uh, In preparation for this sermon, I've been reading this book uh, called The Seven Myths of Singleness by Sam Alberry, and he speaks to this idea when he says, a good friend of mine who's been happily married for over 40 years recently said to me, my marriage is much better than I ever expected or deserve it to be. But it is not enough. That wasn't a complaint. It was a healthy recognition of something that too many people, married or not, are unaware of. I think Sam's friend is spot on here. That marriage might temporarily satisfy that thirst, but it cannot fill that deep longing. So if that's you in the room today, single or not, Christian or not, and and you have been told that or you're currently thinking that, uh, I just want to challenge that way of thinking. I want to lean into it, and uh, I want to show what Jesus says about that. Um, That's an awesome ringtone, by the way. Um, So if uh, y'all want to head over to uh, the Gospel of Mark, that's one of the passages that we're going to be in today. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the seat backs in front of you. Uh, and if, uh, also we say this all the time, but we really do mean it. Is that if you don't have a copy of God's word, uh, go ahead and take one of those Bibles. It's our gift to you. Just think having God's word is really important. Uh, we'd love for you guys to have that. So uh, as you're finding your way there, this passage uh, actually comes right after the rich young ruler has just walked away sad uh, because he could not accept the life that Jesus was offering to him. And Peter feels the need to remind Jesus uh, of how much him and the disciples have sacrificed to follow Jesus, right? It's kind of a classic Peter moment here. Uh, And Jesus responds with this. Jesus responds with this. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, 
mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life, eternal life. And so what I want us to notice here uh, is that Jesus is framing this in familial terms. Uh, And I don't think that's accidental. I think that's really intentional of Jesus to do that. Because in Jesus' mind, he knows that some of us have had to leave our earthly familial way of life for the sake of the gospel and following Jesus. Jesus is aware, Jesus promised actually, that there might be some of us who have to move somewhere new, leave home for the sake of the gospel and following Jesus. And all of that can be quite scary, uh, but Jesus doesn't end it there. Jesus doesn't end it there. This This is what he says. That in this age, in this present age, you will receive homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. In the age to come, eternal life. Uh, And so the question we have to ask, what is Jesus talking about? What is Jesus talking about? If you're a disciple of Jesus, I think it's important for you and I to know here Uh, that Jesus isn't talking to us exclusively, but maybe more so that Jesus is talking about us. He's talking about us. Uh, Because who who are the homes and the brothers and the sisters and the mothers and the fields and the children? Who is that? It's you and me. It's you and me. There are people in this church community that have become like a mother to me, that have become like a father to me, a brother and a sister to me, homes that have become my home. I don't have to worry if I'm intruding. Why? They're my family. They're my family. Just this past week uh, in preparation for this sermon, sitting at home on a Friday afternoon, freaking out because I'm teaching in a week. Um, And uh, I get a text from one of my married friends, uh, Jim, and he was inviting me over to homemade pizza and a movie. If you're wondering, the pizza was really good, by the way. Um, I tell you that uh, because I'm I'm so thankful for them because they have embraced me as their family, but I tell you that because when we practice being a family to one another and to the lost, do you know what we're doing? We are confirming the words of Jesus. We're saying Jesus is right. Jesus is right. His promise is true. So what does this have to do with myth? Number two, that singleness means I'm alone. What does it have to do do with that? It means that there are people in this community right now who are ready and willing to embrace you and walk with you through this life. It means that there are brothers who will come alongside you when you're caught in the weeds of feeling alone and when it's 
hard for you to see the promise that Jesus has made, that he has a family for you. It means that there are sisters who will come alongside you and walk faithfully in obedience to Jesus by looking to him as the source of life who will love you and who will challenge you. It means there are people here in this church community that will become your spiritual kids, as Jesus promised, who need mothered and fathered into loving God and loving people and having a heart for the lost. Y'all, it means that you're not always going to feel like Jesus is near to you. But when you have his family that is, the grace and comfort of Christ becomes so real and tangible. Amen? It's awesome. It means you're not alone. It means you're not alone. You are part of a family that is being built up and constructed by and because of Jesus Christ. You're not alone. That's why we have in this church community uh, life groups. Try to practice being a family toward one another and toward the lost. So I just want to invite you into that. If you want more information, please come and talk to me or in the lobby at the Welcome Center. We'd love to get you connected uh, to the family here. But y'all, I think this is why it's so important for us to understand singleness. Why? So we can confirm and verify the words of Jesus and the promises of Christ. That he's preparing us to be a family to those, to those that are lost, those that are hurting. How about this myth? Myth number three. My main concern should be to find a spouse. I think for those of us who are single in the room today, uh, Paul will speak about singleness in a way, uh, and I'll just, I'll just be frank with you, uh, that is probably going to be hard to hear, and it's not an easy pill to swallow, uh, because the Apostle Paul is going to speak about singleness in a way that is laughable uh, and even somewhat ridiculous to our culture, and probably even to some of us. And so with that array of encouragement, why don't we... Uh, <laughs> Head over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 32 to 35. Uh, You'll find that on page 928. Page 928. So as you're making your way there, I just want to kind of build the framework for us because we're dropping into the middle uh, of a chapter in the middle of a book. Uh, And so I just want to give us some context as we kind of go through this. So you can put your finger there in 1 Corinthians 7. I want to read this for us. This is the opening verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is what Paul says. We'll start in verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So what we'll see here is that Paul is actually answering a question from inside the Corinthian church about sex inside the marriage covenant relationship. And as an extension, uh, Paul is going to speak to a life of singleness. Uh, and this might seem a little odd and even, even somewhat confusing what Paul is saying here, but he, he is reframing the way that the Corinthians 
understand marriage and how it ought to function now that they've come to follow Jesus. Paul talks about this in verse 1 to 7 and 10 through 17. But what we'll see in this letter is Paul's understanding that marriage is a gift and so is singleness. But maybe not in the way that for those of us who are single have come to understand. And so Paul will turn his attention to uh, what the Bible will refer to as the unmarried and the widows and the virgins throughout this chapter in 1 Corinthians 7. So what's, what's Paul doing here? Who's he, who's he referring to? Well, he's giving attention to the singles in the Corinthian church like he did with the married couples on how they ought to live now that they've come to follow Jesus. Right? And so let's look at what Paul says to those that are single. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. Thanks, Paul, that's helpful. Um, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So one of the striking things and or maybe confusing about this passage here uh, is when Paul uses the word, I'd like you to be free from concern. Free from concern. Some of your versions uh, might have the word anxieties there, which I think is a better uh, word for this section. And when Paul is referring, what he's referring to when he says concern or anxieties He's referring to the commitments and the demands that come along with the life of a married person. Paul is not ignorant to the reality that there are genuine responsibilities and anxieties that a married man has to uh, his family and has to his wife and vice versa. Right? Uh, that, can, that, that, that can, at times, make it hard to follow Jesus in different areas of your life, right? these anxieties. And so that's why Paul will say, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. There have been times where I have been invited over to my married friend's house for dinner, and it's been amazing. The food has been great. The memories are awesome to make around the dinner table. Other times, after about walking in, five minutes after I walk in the door, I'm like, yo, I need to leave. This is crazy, right? Someone's getting choked out in here. Um, <laughs> it's kind of wild, right? I'm just kidding. That did not happen. I was just kidding. No, I was just kidding. But to clarify, um, G- Paul, Paul is not describing marriage uh, as being wrong or sinful. He, he, he addresses that earlier in this chapter, but I think Paul would have thought marriage uh, to be a burden, but a good burden. Why is it a good burden? 
Because the beginning of Genesis in the creation account, God institutes marriage, and what God creates is good. Paul's just echoing that here. And so what's interesting about this section is what Paul will say to the singles in the Corinthian church. And so I'll go ahead and pull it apart for us. He says that an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. So the natural question is, what is Paul talking about? And what do we do with these verses? If you remember when I said a couple minutes ago uh, that Paul will view singleness in a way that for those of us who are single uh, will be hard to hear, okay? Well, here it comes. Paul does not seem to be concerned with whether or not the singles will get married one day. What Paul is concerned about, what he's anxious about for the singles, is whether people will please the Lord and be engaged in the things that the Lord cares about. Paul is aware that uh, we have certain priorities that may be different than what God prioritizes. And so I thought it was so cool as I was studying this passage, I kind of pulled apart some words uh, in their original Greek language, and I just want to show you those, uh, that the word affairs actually is this Greek word pragmatia. Uh, it's preoccupation. Right? Uh, it is a priority right? where, where my time and my mind go. Right? It's preoccupation. Uh, and this word please here is actually this Greek word oresko. Right? Oresko. It's to strive to please, to accommodate oneself to the opinions and desires and interests of others. So here's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, is that God has a preoccupation. That God has interests and priorities and he has desires. What are those? We'll find what they are in one of the many passages. But I want to look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. 15 to 18. This is what Paul will say. We'll start in verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God. So what's God preoccupied with? What does God prioritize? What we see here is that God is preoccupied. God is interested, has a desire to bring those who are far away from Jesus to be close to him so that they no longer live for themselves, but for him. God is preoccupied with redeeming wayward, rebellious, sinful people into a new creation who, who are known 
and loved by God and empowered by his spirit to live lives of obedience to Jesus. Y'all, I think those are the things that Paul is instructing singles within the church to be anxious about, to be concerned about, to partner with Jesus and to bring flourishing into his world. And it's not that married people can't do this. Of course married people can do this. But for those of us who are single, there might be a tendency for us to want to get singleness over with and just get married. When God is saying, I want to use your singleness and shape your life to my preoccupations, to my interests and my desires. Because that does not come natural. I don't know about you. That does not come natural for me. That God wants to use your singleness to bring the grace and truth of Jesus in every space that you go into, right? Y'all, I think this is why this third myth is so nasty and destructive, is because it assumes that my singleness disqualifies me to partner with Jesus in the gospel. It assumes that my singleness is restricting me from real life. When Paul says the opposite, right? He's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying this for your own good, not, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord, right? That, that word restrict, some of the married people might, might know what he's talking about there, right? I thought you were gonna laugh at that, sorry. Um, <laughs> Pastor Tommy told me to say that, so <laughs> you can blame it on him. But Paul, that 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 word restrict it, it just it just means uh, to have a noose tied around your neck, right? And so Paul is saying, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to keep you bound and put you on a leash. I'm saying this so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. To live in such a way that what preoccupies my mind and my heart and my time would please the Lord Jesus. If you're single in the room today, I understand that this is not an easy word to receive today. I'm very aware of that. But if you're single in the room today, you and I are in a unique time in history that we get to pursue the things of Jesus that if and when we get married, ask any of your married friends, it can make it harder to do those things. So if you're single in the room today, please don't wait to get married to follow Jesus and to pursue the things of Christ. You will wait for a long time. If you're single in the room today, please don't wait to get married to serve people, to love people. If you're following Jesus, if you're a disciple of Christ, 
you're already qualified. Jesus qualifies you. Right? So if I haven't made it clear already, the ultimate myth buster is Jesus. Right? Is Jesus. Thank God it's Jesus. Amen? Right? <clears throat> I want to invite the band up and close with a couple few, uh, a couple more re- remarks here. But to those of us who are following Jesus and may feel at times incomplete uh, from one disciple of Jesus to the next, can I encourage you and remind you that we can rest at night knowing that Jesus is sufficient, that Jesus hears us and he comforts us. For those of us that may feel alone at times, Jesus promises a family where you can be known, you can love God and love his people. Jesus promises you a family. And for those of us that may find ourselves being anxious about who we are going to marry and when we are going to get married, if we're going to get married, Jesus invites us into a life of discipleship where Jesus, by his spirit, shape your life to the preoccupations of Christ, what he's interested in and what he desires, that his spirit would shape your life to that. And to those that may be single in the room today or married and you're still investigating Jesus, trying to figure out who he is and what all of this means, I just want to invite you into the family of God. That Jesus went to the cross and he gave his life so that you might find yours in him. So I invite you into the family of Jesus today. If that's you, come on in. Come to the family of God. Would you pray with me today? Lord, thank you for your word. That it is true, God, and that you, you say things, Lord, at times that are really hard to embrace and they're hard to even at times, Lord, understand and apply to our lives in the day-to-day. But Christ, we are so thankful uh, that for those of us who follow you, Jesus, you have given us your spirit uh, to help us be obedient to you, Jesus. And so, Father, we come to you and we ask that You would help us to, whether we're single or married, to to lay our priorities and our anxieties and our concerns and interests at your feet, Jesus. Would you help us to take up the things that preoccupy your heart and your mind? Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would do your work that only you can do, that you would minister to the hearts of those that are receptive and are willing. 
Jesus, thank you for what you did for us and you conquered death and you defeated sin. You nailed it to the cross so that we might be free in you. You've given us spiritual life to be free in you, Jesus. So thank you, Father, for sending your son to do that work for us. And thank you, Jesus, for giving us your spirit. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.